I appreciate you all coming back tonight. I know the radar looks a little sketchy, but we're going to make it through, and a little storm never stopped a preaching guy. So, Although it was helpful to have Charles up front saying something along the lines of, I'm not sure if we'll ever see each other again. So that was comforting. <laughs> As was mentioned, our Sunday night series is called Unswerving, and our whole focus has been Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer there says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And the writer of Hebrews is there trying to convince Christians who have come out of the Jewish faith, who've been converted to Christ, and as a consequence of that have faced a great deal of suffering and difficulty and hardship in their personal life, to some degree in their family life, and they, they had just been through a lot. And so the writer of Hebrews is endeavoring to show in every way how much Christ is far better than what they knew and what they had come out of. But he also gives some, some stories, and he, he says, let me illustrate what faith looks like and what it has looked like down through the ages. Of course, we know Hebrews 11, a famous chapter of faith, Uh, That's really not where we are in terms of this series, but uh, we are going through uh, stories of faith of the Old Testament. And some of those faith heroes, if you will, will be mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's the case tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, talks about our character, our hero of the evening. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 4, the writer of Hebrews pens this, By faith... Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Now, Abel's one of those lesser-known characters. Not that we don't know who Abel is. It's just that so very little is said about him. Indeed, the Scripture never records a single word from Abel himself. Which is interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews would bring up Abel as an example of faith of someone we never heard a single word from. To me, that is exemplary of what faith is all about. Not about what you say so much as how you live. And that is the case with Abel. I ran across this story from the author John Bloom. He kind of wrote this imaginative fictional piece based on the story of Abel. It was dusk. Cain was working late. Not wanting to face his parents, he was trying to disguise his guilt-infused fear with preoccupation with his crops. Then suddenly, the unmistakable voice of the Lord sent a shock through his core. Where is Abel, your brother? Cain had grown to loathe Abel. It had been building for years. No matter what, Abel always seemed to turn a situation to his advantage. Was there a conflict? Abel, the humble, loved to be the first to reconcile. Did anyone need help? Abel, the servant, loved to be first to offer. Was there an injury? Abel, the compassionate, loved to be the first to comfort. Even when Cain showed greater endurance and ingenuity in his work, Abel would rob him of any satisfaction with a virtuoso performance of self-effacing virtue. 
What Cain found most maddening was Abel the pious flaunting his tender, conscious, and precious devotion to God for the admiration of all. Cain could barely stomach how father and mother gushed over that. With every perceived humiliation, Cain caressed the secret suspicion that Abel only used goodness to show himself superior to Cain. But that morning, Cain had suffered a crushing blow. The Lord had required each brother to present an offering, the first fruits of their labors. Cain saw this as an opportunity. This time, Abel would not upstage him. Cain would prove that he too could excel in devotion to God. So he made sure that his offering lavishly exceeded the required amount of his best produce. But when the Lord reviewed Cain's extravagant offering, he rejected it. Cain was stunned. Then, injury to insult, the Lord accepted Abel's comparatively simple offering of a lamb. Humiliated by Abel again, but this time before God Almighty. Cain was beside himself. Hatred metastasized into horror. Abel had outshined him again for the last time. And by late afternoon, Abel's lifeless body lay in a remote field, abandoned in the hope that a beast's hunger would conceal the fratricide. I think that was a pretty... Well thought out. Of course, it's all fictional. We don't know if that's exactly how it worked out. But Cain and Abel is a unique story. The question is, what can we learn from faith by a man who died so young? What can we learn from the life of Abel? Turn now to Genesis chapter 4, the basis for that story, and we'll read exactly... According to the words of the scripture, as much as we know. Chapter 4, starting verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks. We presume he was a shepherd of some sort. And Cain worked the soil, a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. 
Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. We are reminded as we read through the text some things about Abel that are important for us to know as we look at faith and how Abel's story relates to ours. First is, Abel brought a better sacrifice. Now, the scripture doesn't say, and there have been all kinds of speculation as to what made his sacrifice better. My personal, which is opinion more than what you'll find in the text, is that it had to do with Abel bringing some of the firstborn, which would, as we later know in the law would become a requirement. It had to be the first and it had to be the best. I don't know that. Scripture doesn't say only that it says that Abel did bring some of the firstborn. Obviously, when you're a farmer, you know, firstborn isn't really an option other than you, if you bring the first fruit. Did Cain not do that? We don't know. Abel was the fourth person to ever have lived, the second born of woman. He was born at the dawn of human history, at least at the family at that point. He was the youngest child. Abel was a shepherd. Genesis records that this is the first act of worship, at least that we have recorded. How did they know what God required? We don't know. God had instructed them in some form, but the scripture doesn't tell us what he required. As with anything that's in the scripture, if it's not there, we can know that it's not important for us to understand. His offering, as we said, was the first of his flock. Uh, it's interesting to me that the life, that, that for Abel's sacrifice, a life had to be taken. And that was, blood had to be shed. As we understand throughout the Old Testament law, and then later in Hebrews, that, that the life of a creature is in the blood. And that sin, the payment for sin, the only payment for sin, is life. Now, thank goodness for us, we don't have to make animal sacrifices as they did because of Christ being the one final and perfect sacrifice for sin. The theological term for this is substitutionary atonement, but that's not in the text. All of this surely foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do. Sacrifice involves paying a price. And not a story about Abel, but in 2 Samuel 24, there's a story of David told to build an altar at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And Aruna, he wants to give it over. He says, yeah, take my threshing floor. And David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He understands the concept of sacrifice. That in, in all throughout Old Testament worship and even New Testament worship, what was required was a sacrifice. Now, that's, that's a very foreign concept for us today in the Western world. But in Romans chapter 12, what does the writer there say? Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God. It's no longer about offering a life on the altar. It's about offering your life and letting it be altered 
for him. The only way that we can come to God is through sacrifice. A life must have be, be, be sacrificed on our behalf. Even all the way back to the sin in Genesis chapter 3. When mom and dad had messed up, and the first thing they do is what? They try to cover themselves with the leaves, right? They try to make coverings for themselves. And the scripture tells us that God made coverings of skin. After he had punished them and after he was getting ready to drive them from the garden, it said he made coverings of skin. That's important. It tells us that he was making their, their leather coverings, and an animal would have had to have died for that to have happened. This idea of sacrifice being paid is all throughout the Old Testament. Abel was the first righteous martyr. This is what Jesus said. He mentions Abel in Luke chapter 11. If you're following along in your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 47. He says, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. Verse 51. From the blood of Abel to to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary... Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Abel was the very first martyr who would die for his faith. Now, at the hands of his own brother seems almost implausible. But regardless of the circumstance, Jesus quotes Abel as the first person who would ever lay down his life for what he believed. When we worship God, what he is looking at goes beyond whether our lips are moving and whether or not we're following along, whether or not we're filling out the little handout. He's looking for something deeper than that. He's He's looking for our faith. He's looking for our sincerity. He wants to know whether the word that you open up is being not just opened in here, but in your life. Is it being lived out? Whether we're offering praise or giving thanks or doing good deeds or sharing resources with others, we're called to do that by faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, that through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Abel offered a better sacrifice. The logical question then is what has following God cost you? What has it caused you to sacrifice? 
if being a Christian hasn't cost you anything, maybe you ought to examine how deep and sincere your faith is. As Jesus even said, it would cost you something. The apostles said it would cost you something. Number two, Abel offered righteous worship. Now, I I split the two brothers there on the PowerPoint slide. Both Cain and Abel gave offerings. Cain offered some, the scripture says. Abel offered the first. Both gave worship. Both did what God required. But there was an attitude behind it. There was a mentality behind it. Cain was works alone. He just said, okay, what do I got to do? I'll do that. In high school or in college, if you ever have to write a paper and the teacher says, I want you to write about this subject, uh, invariably the question is asked, how many words does it have to be? I'm getting Doug, the college professor, nodding in agreement. That tells the teacher instantaneously the mindset That happens with us in worship, too. Is Sunday night required? What about Wednesday night? What's what's the bare minimum that God wants? That attitude is the wrong attitude. It's saying, I'm not going to give you my fullest and best. I'm just going to give you exactly the minimum that you require, and that's it. It won't cost me anything if I can help it. Abel's sacrifice, Abel's worship was both by works. He did something. It's not that he could get by without offering, but he also did it by faith. He also, there was something deeper than just the lamb being offered or or whatever it was, whatever creature was offered. There was something deeper to it than the animal being sacrificed. Cain was, of course, rejected and Abel was accepted. So the lesson we get is that worship is not just about doing the right things. It's also doing it from the right spirit. And this is so difficult to overcome because as we do worship regularly, our brains are wired naturally to to get in routine. And that happens with everyone. God just designed us to work that way. So our brains try to be maximally, maximum, to maximize efficiency. <laughs> and they try to, to get uh, to us through routine without thinking about it. When you drove here tonight, if you're used to driving here on a Sunday night or, or with any regularity, at some point you start driving and you stop thinking about driving. You just do. You just go through it. Sometimes you'll have that experience where you go through it, maybe a long trip, but you've taken it many times, and you get there and you go, "Did I just really make that?" I mean, I, I was conscious that I was driving, but I wasn't paying attention to every little turn and detail. Well, in worship, this happens the, the same way. You can be singing, but you sing a song you've sung three hundred times in your life. And you start to disengage. Your mouth is still moving. Your vocal cords still vibrating. You're still doing the act, but you're not thinking about it. And so we have to fight with that. And that's not just for 
if you've done it forever, I mean, that, that can happen at a very young age. You have to put thought and you have to put heart into the worship of God. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's about doing the right thing with the right motivation, with the love for the Lord and the desire to please Him and to, to well, Proverbs 15, verses 8 and 9 says this, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases Him. The sacrifice of the wicked, that's interesting to me. Hey, you don't ever think that Wicked people would offer sacrifices to God. But Scripture tells us that they have, they, they will, and they do right now. It's possible to worship God in the right way, but be coming from a very wrong attitude. So we've got to work against that. Abel's worship was by faith. He, his heart believed God, but his, it was more than that. His life trusted him wasn't just going through the bare minimum it was it was offering himself more than just what was altar, offered on the altar it was his mind his heart his soul his strength working together and so the logical question is what kind of worshipper are you jesus famously said that worship must be in spirit and in truth which tells us that it, there, there's a part that you can worship in an untrue way, and you can also worship when your spirit is not engaged. Worship that is in spirit and in truth is where the lips and the heart are in sync, where, where actions and lives are congruent with the things you profess and read on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Are you a Cain type of worshiper? Just going through the motions, doing the bare minimum, checking off the list. Or you are a, a sincere worshiper, doing it with everything you have and doing your best to connect and, and engage your mind and your heart in the process and not just limiting, limiting it to this time, but the other 167 hours of the week where your life becomes a living sacrifice. And finally, number three, Abel preached a silent sermon. We have no record of Abel saying anything, as I said, and yet his faith still speaks volumes. That Jesus would speak of it, <clears throat> that we're still speaking about it today. His death reminds us, one, that the goal of the evil is to annihilate the good. Sometimes we naivishly believe that we can reconcile the two, that we can make a deal between the good and the evil. But spiritually speaking, that's not the case. First John <clears throat> chapter 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. This is verse 12 of First John 3. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world 
hates you. Even if you have sincere faith and sincere worship, that's not going to stop the evil. In fact, more likely, it's going to put you in their targets. Bad things will happen to good people. That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. In fact, sometimes it's the very confirmation that he does because he said that over and over again. It's a spiritual battle. And so when evil attacks the good, we should not be surprised. But we're also reminded that if his word is true, that good eventually wins out. That Abel will eventually have justice, as will all the martyrs who died throughout the years. Christian martyrs who are dying today will have justice, not through their actions, but through God's. Christ made this possible. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 and 24 says, You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's, he's bringing it full circle. God didn't forget Abel. And by the way, if you're in a spot where you're being persecuted and you're facing some tough times, that's okay. God's going to work that out. He hasn't forgotten Abel, and he hasn't forgotten you. So the question is, if Abel preached a silent sermon, what is your faith saying to others? When people find out that you're a Christian, if you tell someone, wouldn't that be a surprise? Should they know that? Should they, should they say, oh yeah, that makes sense? Well, hopefully your life is preaching a message like Abel's. Next week we're going to talk about the builder, and we're going to look at the life and the faith of Noah. Now, we're told in the scripture that without faith it is impossible to please God. And as we look at these stories of faith and hope, I want to end this lesson by offering you the opportunity to know faith through Jesus Christ and to have the hope that he offers. If you're not in him and you'd like to be in him, we can make that possible. We can help you on your journey by knowing him and confessing him, repenting of sin and being buried with him in baptism. You can begin a journey uh, like Abel's. And if you're ready to do that, we want to help you. And if you have started that journey, but you need some encouragement and some prayers, and if you just kind of feel like Abel some days, let us encourage you and remind you that God hasn't forgotten you either. If you have a need to start your journey or continue in it, please come as together we stand and sing.